Let us give our attention to the reading of the Word of God from Acts chapter 15, verses 6 to 21. Acts 15, 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Verse 12, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes those, these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to, to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Thank you, Kongwa, for reading God's word for us. Friends, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that we sinners and transgressors to your law can be saved by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that as we consider your word this morning, I pray that your word be our rule and authority, 
that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide, that your glory be our chief concern. And we pray in the words of the psalmist that our hearts not be hardened as we hear your voice today. Help us glimpse the glory of Christ as revealed in Scriptures and increase our affections for our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, I had a lunch with a dear brother at Circuit Road Hawker Centre. And like most Singaporean, guess what? It's no surprise that part of our conversations revolve around food. We talk about the Pontian wonton noodles and how the business had expanded and the owners had even started other stores. This brother even had the opportunity to meet the owner at the launch of a new store at Clementi. And he relished eating the noodles. But guess what? Over the course of the next few months, when the owner was busy with other stores and not around, the taste and the quality of the noodles seemed to have fallen short. The content of the wonton noodles had fallen short of the promise of the brand name. So far, in our sermon series in Acts, we have seen Paul and Barnabas busy with gospel mission. They had just finished a mission trip in, described in Acts 13 and 14. And my brother Eugene and Yen preached through these two chapters the past two Sundays, telling us what is the gospel and how we interpret all of life through the lens of the gospel. We heard how the weakness of the gospel to the gospel had expanded beyond the borders of Palestine and churches comprising many Gentiles were planted. You know, my friends, if Paul and Barnabas were like the owner of the chain of noodle shops, what would they have done? They would have gotten busy with the church growth program, right? They would have worked even harder to get the gospel out there and plant more churches. But we see there is a break in between their first and second missionary trip as Paul and Barnabas had to confront a challenge in Acts 15. The challenge is the question, how can one be saved? This chapter is key to the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas weren't so busy with ministry that they neglected this key idea, this key facet of the gospel. And the debate at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 centers on the content of the true gospel. Does the gospel need to be supplemented by human contribution? Or is it about trusting in the work of Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Is it faith alone in Christ alone? Or faith in Christ plus my own religious activities? Or simply put, how can you be saved from God's judgment against sin? I know, I know, before we are tempted to relax thinking, Hey, Oli, you know, this is familiar to me. This is the basic of Christianity. Haven't we covered this before in our Sunday schools, DS, and our CGs? You know, I really know the answer. Lah, you know. It's faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. But I ask you, my dear friends today, let us look at the text carefully this morning. The gospel is the main thing for Christian life and ministry. And we should rehearse it often. 
not only knowing the content, but delighting in it and working it out, massaging it into all areas of church and life. Moreover, Acts 15 does not only tell us what we should be believing about the gospel. It also tells us how the gospel should impact our belonging and our behaving. The truth of the gospel isn't merely academic. It impacts our life together and our behaviour towards one another. So GBC, let us look at this carefully. So how can you be safe? How can you be safe? So turn with me to Acts 15 verses 1 to 35. It is a long passage with 35 verses. There will be parts where I will linger a little longer and other parts where I will zip through. So look at the text and follow with me. Acts 15 verse 1 to 5. There it tells us that some men from Judea came to the church at Antioch of Syria. Remember, the church at Antioch is a Gentile majority church. But before we go into this, who is a Gentile? Who is a Gentile? Actually, all of us should raise our hands here because anyone who is not a Jew and refers to all of us here, we are Gentiles, unless we are believers here from a Jewish background. Okay? And what happened is this man from Judea, they were conservative Jewish Christians. Okay? And they were allied in the teaching, as we see in verse 5, to the party of Pharisees. What this means were that these men, they were Christian converts who were circumcised and they still kept to all the Mosaic law, including the Jewish ceremonial laws and the food laws. And what were they doing? They were coming down to the church in Antioch and they were saying to the Gentile majority church in Antioch, my friends, you want to be safe? You want to be safe? Then you also need to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. Faith in Jesus is not enough. You need to add to faith circumcision. They wanted to adjust the gospel. They wanted to adjust what was believed about how you can be saved. And my friends, this is no small matter. Adding to the gospel is not like getting a McDonald's upsize. Okay? You do not get more of the good old McDonald's goodness in a bigger meal. The truth of the gospel does not need an upsize. Adding to it, as we see, diminishes the gospel such that the gospel becomes no gospel at all. And the teaching of this man from the church in Jerusalem, this led to a huge disagreement and debate between this man with Paul and Barnabas. And this was not a mere academic discussion. You know, when you talk about this theological stuff, we think it's like the debate between Ivy Tower scholars. This was not it. Because this theological debate had huge pastoral and practical impact on the life of the church. How do I know this? For this, we can look at Paul's letter to the Galatians. The activity of these Judean Christians had caused Peter, who was visiting Antioch, to abandon his practice of having table fellowship with Gentile Christians. We see this in Galatians 2.12. And what this did was, this prompted other Jewish believers in the Antioch congregation, including good old Barnabas, 
to withdraw from full fellowship with the Gentile believers. We see this in Galatians 2.13. In fact, in Galatians 2.13, Paul calls this behavior by Peter hypocrisy. Paul calls out this behavior and says that this contradicts their belief about the gospel. If you hold that Gentiles who come to faith in Christ are saved and thus members of God's people, without the need to submit to circumcision, without the need to keep to all of the Mosaic law. But what, yet, what were they doing? They were pulling away for Gentile believers. Pulling away, not having fellowship. Because certain Christians from Jerusalem demanded that the Gentile believers should be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. So this issue of whether you are saved by faith in Christ alone plus nothing, or you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, plus circumcision, plus keeping the law of Moses, this has huge implication on the church at Antioch. This impacted their fellowship with one another. And as a result, the church sent a team comprising both Barnabas and Paul and some others to go to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles and the elders to clarify this important question. So off they went, and when they reached Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church. But some Christians who were part of the party of the Pharisees, meaning they were once, uh, they are Pharisees, they were once Jewish, uh, Jews, but now they have converted to Christianity. These people, they challenged them again. They insisted that Gentiles, to become Christians, they needed to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. They argued, and in order for Gentiles to become Christians, they first needed to be Jews. And this set the background for the debate at the Jerusalem Council. What about us? What do we believe about how one can be saved? Is it faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing? In addition, our behaviours that flow out of this belief, are they congruent? Are they aligned with what we believe? Do we unsay with our lives what we say we believe with our lips? As you can imagine, the debate was heated as the apostles and elders of the Jerusalem church gather to consider this question, how you can be saved. And after much debate, Peter stood up and reminded them of the Gentile centurion, Cornelius, and his household, whom Peter met in Acts 10. Remember Acts 10, the story of Cornelius and Peter? Peter recounted what God was doing among the Gentiles. Through Peter, through Peter, these Gentiles have heard the word of the gospel and they believed. And Peter emphasized this point, that God had accepted the Gentiles as Gentiles, without prior circumcision, without submission to the law of Moses. God's giving of the Holy Spirit to Cornelius and his relatives and his friends, it is a testimony by God that God had accepted Gentile believers who by faith received the gospel as true and trusted in Jesus Christ as Saviour. 
Peter was saying that God cleansed their hearts and forgave their sins based on their faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as their Messiah and Saviour. Not based on circumcision, not based on keeping the Mosaic law. Faith in Jesus Christ is the grounds for God's grace granting the forgiveness of sin. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is sufficient to save. In Vietnam, traditionally many women use this carrying pole. You can see the arrow there indicating the carrying pole. When they carry the goods to and from the market, this carrying pole is called a yoke. A yoke. You bear the weight of the basket across this bamboo pole. However, the yoke in Bible times is also a similar pole that is used to attach two oxen or two animals together, either to pull a plow for the fields or to pull a cart. The yoke distributes the weight so that both animals can bear the burden. And the Jewish rabbis use this image of uh, an agricultural image of animals at work in the fields in the first century, use this idea of yoke to describe the teaching of the law of Moses. To be placed under the yoke of the law, to place under the yoke of the law is to be subjected to the teaching of the law of Moses. And Peter tells the Jewish Christians who insist that Gentiles be circumcised and keep the law of Moses that rather than doing God's will, they were instead testing God. Their refusal to understand and accept that God has cleansed the hearts of Gentiles because of their faith in Jesus, without adding circumcision, without adding uh, uh, and apart from the law, is a challenge directed at God. Note what Peter didn't say. Peter didn't say that the law is bad. Romans 7.12 tells us, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So Peter didn't say that law is bad. Rather, what Peter is saying is this. What Peter is saying is that salvation is a grace gift from God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not merited.
you are safe to a community of believers. You are safe to be part of the people of God, to belong to the people of God, the church. And as a result, no difficulty should be placed in the paths of Gentiles turning to God in Christ. The decision is that circumcision and keeping the law of Moses should not be required of Gentiles who convert to Christianity. The Jerusalem Council affirms that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. In accompanying the decision, James asked that they write a letter to the Gentiles requesting that they refrain from food offered to idols, eating meat improperly butchered, and engaging in sexual immorality. But why? If you are following the argument of the text, didn't they just say that you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone? Then why do we see here in this text that they suddenly, uh, James suddenly add a list of other things that they should uh, be refrained from? After saying that they should not trouble the Gentiles who turn to God, he adds this list of restrictions. The key is in verse 21. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us that there are still Christians of Jewish background who observe the law of Moses. So for the sake of love, James asked that the Gentiles refer from habits which will make table fellowship with the Jewish believers difficult. You can imagine this. If I am a Christian who is from Jewish background and my entire life I don't eat a, a meat that has blood in it, suddenly I sit in a table with Gentiles or maybe Chinese where we eat everything, you know, and all of a sudden I find it difficult to fellowship with you. In fact, I may even refrain from having a meal with you, from having fellowship with you. So that's, that's the idea. So for the sake of love, James asked that the Gentiles refrain from such habits so that they can then Jews and Gentiles fellowship better together. In addition, there are still many Jews who are non-believers. So for the sake of gospel ministry, James asked that the Gentiles give up their freedom to eat whatever food they want, so as not to hinder them from hearing the message of the gospel. And we see that this is nothing new because Paul himself talks about surrendering his rights so that the proclamation of the gospel is not hindered in 1 Corinthians 9. But what about sexual immorality? This last one seems our place in a list of activities best given up for the sake of fellowship, best given up for the sake of gospel ministry. Surely there is no take it or leave it about sexual immorality. The key is this. This list contains activities that cause the most offence to Jewish believers. And because Gentiles had very different ideas about sexual, impu- uh, sexual purity than from Jews, for example, remember, during that period of time, temple prostitution is commonly accepted among the Gentiles. This is the re- because all this cause offence, James highlights it. But Gentiles are to turn from sexual immorality, including prostitution. And we see this in other parts of Scripture, who makes it clear that there is no compromise for sexual immorality. But then the question again, why the focus on relaxing the requirement for circumcision and the food laws? Why did they determine that circumcision was no longer binding upon the people of God? Circumcision was established prior to the Mosaic Covenant, 
but was particularly marked as the sign of the covenant. But we see, circumcision was no longer essential for the people of God because circumcision was a physical sign that pointed to and foreshadowed a spiritual reality, a circumcision of the heart. We see this in Romans 2 and Colossians 2. Physical circumcision was thus no longer universally binding on God's people. Rather, the principle regarding circumcision became one of love and gospel ministry. And the guys in our midst give a sigh of relief because it means that we too need not be subjected to circumcision. Okay? So what about our food laws? We see that starting with Christ in Mark 7-9, Christ himself declared all food clean. And in Acts 10, with the case of with Peter, we see further evidence about this change, this sweeping implications because of the gospel. Remember Peter's vision? He was told even to eat the, the food. Uh, he was told to, to eat even though the food presented to him was unclean. What God has made clean, do not call common. The reality is not restricted to foods, but indeed it crumbles, it abolishes, it removes every law which separated clean from unclean. Walls were broken down. Laws abolished as Christ reconciled even the Jew and Gentile in one body through the cross. And where am I getting this? Ephesians 2, 14-18 tells us, For He, meaning Christ Himself, is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he, meaning Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far, far off, people like the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. This is amazing because what this tells us is that in Christ, there are no binding distinctions between clean and unclean food. In our eating or not eating, in our drinking and not drinking, we are no longer ruled by the letter of the Mosaic Covenant. But as James reminds us, a love for others should provide some guidelines and boundaries as we are called to lay down our freedom, to lay down our rights and preferences for the sake of others. The late John Stott writes, the late John Stott writes, the Jerusalem Council secured a double victory, a victory of truth confirming the gospel of grace and a victory of love in preserving the fellowship by sensitive concessions to conscientious Jewish scruples, to sensitive Jewish conscience. In summary, you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, without a need for circumcision and observing the law of Moses. Because both circumcision and the food laws both find their end and purpose in Christ. However, Christian, as believers, we are asked to give up our freedom in this area for the sake of love and for maintaining fellowship with Christian brothers, as well as for the sake of gospel ministry, so as not to hinder 
the proclamation of the gospel. So my friends, are we as a church troubling others in your turning to God? Have we added a list of things to what it means to be a good Christian? Are we willing to give up our freedom for the sake of fellowship and gospel ministry? How might that look like in your life? With the entire Jerusalem Council agreed to James' decision and provision, they drafted a letter to inform the Antioch Church, the Antioch Church in Syria, of their decisions. The letter was accompanied by representatives of the Jerusalem Church, Judas called Basabas and Silas, who later became Paul's missionary companion. Both these men, Judas and Silas, accompanied uh, Paul and Barnabas so that they could testify to and confirm the decision in the letter. They refuted the men from Judea. They confirmed that they will lay no greater burdens, affirming that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And they gave a list of requirements to keep, to maintain fellowship, and not hinder the proclamation, the spread of the gospel. And when gospel truth is upheld, and love for believers and non-believers is, is uh, emphasised, what happened? What was the response of the church to the decision? They rejoiced. As a result, the church in Antioch rejoiced and were encouraged and strengthened. The gospel that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved from God's judgment on your sin. The gospel always brings joy when understood and received. Are we joyful as a church, GBC? If not, or if we, we find that there's an area we can improve in, then perhaps we need to press the truth of the gospel more firmly into our hearts and express this better in the life of the church as we do life together. And how can we apply the truths of today's passage in our lives? We can consider how we can love our Christian brother and non-Christian neighbour better. One area is in the area of drinking of alcohol. The Bible does not prohibit drinking of alcohol, but drunkenness is forbidden. Is prohibited. Drunkenness and addictions are sins. But drinking a little alcohol in moderation is not. Christians are free to drink in moderation. But let us be willing and quick to curb our drinking if it stumbles or hinders fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters. Or if drinking hinders and damages our witness to the gospel. So if we have a brother who is prone to alcohol addiction, please, 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 let's restrict our drinking for the sake of fellowshipping with him. And if our drinking and hinder testimony to non-believers, I mean, they look at us and think, hey, how can you call yourself Christian when you drink so much? Then let us restrict drinking for the sake of our ministry, our gospel ministry to them. Another area could be our choice of dining options when we have lunch after service on Sundays, when we gather for meals. Just stick with me on this. Because I've heard this from a few people. We may have visitors or even brothers and sisters who for whatever reason may not have the resources to spend at pricier eateries. 
So rather than exposing that he or she cannot afford it and perhaps even embarrassing him and, and her or her and preventing fellowship with them, we can choose to eat at less expensive places. We do not always have to eat at Atas Cafe, even though we have the freedom to do so. And you do know, right, I like my expensive coffees. Okay? But we can eat at food courts and kopitiams. I can also be, com- uh, be contented with my kopi o siu tai. We can do this so that people are not excluded and they can join us in table fellowship with us. We can do both for love's sake and for gospel ministry's sake. Also as a church, let us consider whether there are additional expectations we place on others as criteria for them to be received and accepted into our community. What are some areas that our customs and traditions contradict the gospel of grace? Do we have to relook at our emphasis and insistence on certain dress code? Or do we have to relook at our insistence on prayer meeting attendance as a must and an indication that someone is a good Christian? Or do we have to relook at our emphasis? on attending certain conferences and reading certain books as a mark of maturity. Don't get me wrong. All the above can be good and helpful activities, can be helpful in building us up in Christ. And I appreciate them. But when we explicitly, maybe not explicitly, or in, and implicitly insist that this must be done before someone can be welcomed into our community, then we are living counter to the gospel of grace. The main result of living out this gospel of grace, that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, is that we are freed from the burden of performance. We see again the yoke used by the Vietnamese movement to carry two children in this case and the load on the other. Just imagine me, picture with me, one of our children getting off and putting himself under the yoke, thinking he can bear the yoke. It will be simply too much for him to bear. Rather, he should be like the other child, trusting that his mother will carry him and resting in the fact that the yoke is borne by another who loves him. This is so counter-cultural to our Singapore culture of meritocracy. Meritocracy tells us we will only get what we deserve if we perform. But the Gospel tells us We get what we do not deserve because of the performance of another on our behalf. So my Christian friends, let this truth root deep into your hearts. And my non-Christian friends, do you hear this? This is wonderful news. It tells us that we, the gospel tells us that we are sinners unable to bear the burden and guilt of our sins. And the result of our sin is death. We will face God's judgment on our sin, eternal separation from God, our source of life. However, we can trust and rest in Jesus Christ because He is the only one who has fully kept the law of Moses. When we have faith in Him alone, we receive the benefits of His performance on our behalf. Not only that, Jesus Christ has borne the burden of our sins on our behalf 
so that our sins will be forgiven if we trust in Him. So my friends, my non-Christian friends, what are you waiting for? For Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, 28, 30, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for those of us who have yet to trust in Christ, I plead with you, be like the child in the basket and trust that Jesus will carry you. Come to Him for the forgiveness of your sins, for your rescue from God's wrath, for you to receive eternal life. Come to Him. Come to Him and find rest for your souls. And if this is your decision, you can uh, meet with the pastors and elders at the front of the worship hall after the service. Let us pray. As, you bow our, as we bow our heads, let's ask ourselves, do I struggle with trusting and resting in what Jesus Christ has done to save me? Ask God to give you faith in Jesus Christ. What are some self-effort projects to merit my salvation I need to let go? Ask God for you to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to save. Are there areas who have fallen to the sin of the man from Judea who insists on others adding to the gospel so that they can be accepted by God or accepted within GBC? Ask God to bring them to mind and confess them. Are there areas I need to restrict my freedom for the sake of Christian fellowship and for the sake of the gospel? Ask God to give you love for Christian brothers and sisters. Ask God to give you love for our non-Christian friends. Father God, you have given us a saviour. Give us a faith to live by him, to make Jesus all that we desire, all our hope and all our glory. May we be never be ashamed of Jesus or of His gospel, but joyfully bear His name. May we, in both what we confess and in our conduct, live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ, Your name might be exalted and magnified. We pray this in the name of our all-sufficient Saviour who gave Himself for us. Amen. Him who is able to keep me from falling, present me as spotless before the throne, a sure foundation that miracle and build on, a hope that is certain to carry me home. To Him who is able to save me completely, 
who has poured out his blood as an offering for sin, and takes me to ride by the power of the Spirit, and seal me from heaven to reign there with him. To him be the glory, and sing an honor and praise. All saints now adore Him, worship the glorious name of Jesus our King. To Him who's returning to earth in His glory, Clothed in His majesty, splendor and light. And at last we hail Him, our glorious Savior. And forever and ever our worship will rise. To Him be the glory, blessing and honor and praise. All saints now adore Him. Worship the glorious name of Jesus our King. 